tree was all the same I was under the sky, no new horizons Maybe there is no one else to be Listeners, welcome back to the Campbell's Footballs Podcast with myself, Dr. Grant Campbell. Now, I'm really pleased to be joined uh, for this episode by a woman who's had a remarkable time of things in the world of football and the media. She's a broadcaster for the Premier League, BBC Sport and Amazon Prime. And she's also a co-founder of one of the most brilliant podcasts, The Offside Rule. It is the one and only Lindsay Hooper. Lindsay, a warm welcome to the show. Grant, thank you very much for having me on. When I first heard of Campbell's Football Podcast, this is before I delved deeper, I thought the people behind Campbell's Soup had branched out, but no. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know in time. I think maybe they missed a trick, but uh, hey-ho, it was uh, to my advantage, that's for sure. It's been a really strange year uh, with COVID-19 very much in our lives. How have you been coping with this real change? It, it's been a mixed one. Um, the first lockdown was really tough. Um, when football stopped altogether, that meant for people like me that work majority in football, pretty much all of my, my work disappeared. So that was really tough at the beginning. Um, and then since the restart, I have been fortunate enough that I've been one of the reporters allowed into ground. So I've been going to matches. It has been really strange. Um, it is very much akin to going to a training match. Uh, obviously, you hear everything. I'm sure people have got used to it now. I know that the players have started to get used to it. But it, it was a shock to the system to begin with. Um, but I was just grateful that I could go in and that we all had some football to enjoy. The fact that people have been able to watch back-to-back football during all of this, I think, has really been a blessing for, for a lot of people that otherwise wouldn't have had any sport to enjoy. Yeah. So you see it for what it is. Um, yeah, I'm grateful that I've managed to to work and I've also been able to travel still to some degree um, up and down the country for certain matches as long as you just go to the ground get in and done all your tests and come out again yeah. then um, it's, it's all been fine so um, yeah touch wood it's all been good I've not actually had COVID at all I know people that have mm-hmm. um, the, the measures that they put in place have been for everyone safeguarding and they've been really top notch I have to say that to all the organisations involved all the bodies all the clubs they've made us feel as safe as possible Mm -hmm. trying to continue to do the work that we do Um, and for that I'm really really grateful it it has been a really tough time for a lot of people Um, and I know that I'm very fortunate I've been able to to carry on working and yeah it's it's been an interesting one from a football perspective it's been a bit skewed I think there's been some odd results lots of strange results along the way and lots of goals and we've just started to hit a, a point actually where we had a few more nil nils lately but up until until then it had been just yeah. very very weird results how how strange has it been without fans in stadiums because obviously you go to these games you report in the games you do a lot of broadcasting there that that was a real lack of atmosphere at times and the players have to create their own atmosphere but as people working there do you almost have to create your kind of own atmosphere yourself your own <laughs> motivation well, I can eavesdrop on a lot of my media colleagues, that's for sure. I can hear all of the commentaries, <laughs> loud and proud, all at the same time. Um, I'm often down pitch side, actually. The, there's usually an amber zone and a red zone. The red zone incorporates the tunnel, the pitch area. We're not allowed anywhere near that. But if you try and envisage, envisage the post-match interview positions, mm-hmm. which is where I would be, um, often we've got a seat a little bit further back, which is uh, socially distanced. You can't sit uh, within two metres of anybody else. 
and then afterwards the players come over and we, and we do a socially distanced interview um, and any pieces to camera and things like that we also do in, in what's called the amber zone so um, in terms of the, the game itself I think um, from a journalist point of view it was interesting actually because the first few matches it's not very often you get to hear all the players and what they say to each other whilst they're playing and yes. A lot of louder people were recognised. You know, Connor Cody at Wolves, who who absolutely bellows at everybody. Ray Lewington at Crystal Palace, who you think might have a heart attack because of how loud he screams. Um, there, there are different characters. And then there's some captains that you realise are really, really quiet. Like Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, for instance, you know, doesn't say very much at all on the pitch. Um, there's, there's all those things that you take in, all the instructions. And so from a journalist element, that's been an interesting addition. Mm. But of course, nothing replicates having a full stadium of fans. We did have a couple of moments where we had test football events with 1,000 to 2,000 fans. I was at one of those. I was then at one um, a few months later in Stevenage that didn't have the capacity that they were allowed, but just about 700 or so. And it made a huge difference. I didn't think it would. I didn't think 1,000 voices would would make an impact. I thought they'd echo around a stadium of, of some of these sizes. But actually, it goes to show how much just a group of fans can make a difference. So when we've got half capacity, I think it will feel very, very different. Um, we might not get back to full capacity straight away, but I think we'll be on the right track and and any fans will be an improvement. Yeah, no, absolutely agree with that. And let's hope that uh, fans can get back into stadium in their droves uh, very, very soon. But Lindsay, it's great to have you on the show. As I mentioned at the top there, broadcaster for Premier League, BBC Sport and Amazon Prime and the co-founder of the Offside Rule podcast, which I really love and I'm really looking forward to learning a little bit more about that. Uh, my first question I always like to ask my guest, Lindsay, is did you always want to go into the media and journalism at the beginning? What was your route in? I didn't always want to do media and journalism, but I was super sporty. I wanted to be an Olympian um, to begin with. I was a runner and I went to Loughborough University and I did a race there when I was 13. I remember turning to my mum and dad and saying, this is the university I want to go to because this has the best sports people. But I very quickly realised that I was that I was that kid that I was very, very good at sport, but I was just perhaps county standard at quite a few things i wasn't i wasn't ever going to be gb standard yeah. at anything um which is great when you're wanting to entertain people and if you're on an all-inclusive holiday and want to take on everybody for the the tournaments and get some certificates <laughs> on stage for those sorts of things but if you want to actually do it for a career obviously it's not an option um i just i think loughborough is the sort of place that makes and breaks people and i realized i wasn't really quite good enough um but i am i'm super grateful that i have got a sporting knack and that I turn my hand to most sports and it's been really handy in life it's a very sociable thing to have to be able to play sport and sport is something that I hold very dear for that I think it in society it plays a huge part actually sport yeah. I think if you can get children and if you can get teenagers really into sport and passionate about it and um, often you can you can really avoid some some other areas that they might have been tempted to dabble in and I know that was the case for me and a lot of my my friends um so I felt it was a bit of a savior in some ways it gave me a passion and something to do and then when I was 13 I started doing hospital radio I always love talking, which all my family and friends would probably tell you. Um, and and then I suddenly started to realise people do this. You know, they present radio shows and they 
they present on TV and um, they have things that they're passionate about and why can't that be me? Now, when I asked that, why can't that be me? Oh, I had so many voices coming back at me at that period telling me, no, it can't be you for many reasons. And and I remember having a an initial careers um, conversation at school and I'd been doing hospital radio for two years at that point. I was about 15. And I think I'd even done some community radio as well. And they went around the class. And also I'm from an area in the heart of the black country called Dudley, where we don't have one of, or we certainly didn't have one of the most favorable accents in the country either. So I had one part of the family and everything saying, you know, and friends and just people in that local area, you know, people from around here don't get media jobs, Mm -hmm. you know, in my head. And I also had the careers teacher when I had this meeting telling me when I said I wanted to be a radio presenter, you know, what's your backup plan, but hadn't asked anybody else for one. So I felt like I was getting the knockbacks, you know, the, you can't really do this. This Mm -hmm. isn't really what people do. But I've I've always been one thing and that's pretty persistent. Um, Proving proving yourself right in many ways. Instead of proving other, pre- proving yourself right rather than proving people wrong. Yeah, and I, I've always operated in the sense that I'm a bit of a lone island. I think if you even go back to school and you maybe reflect on your own personality and what you were like, yeah. there's some people that may be a bit more followers and like to follow a pack around and, and be in that group. There are some people that like to be leaders and um, tend to be, you know, wanting to dictate where everybody goes and where the, the cool places to go are. And I always found myself as this island in the middle. You know, I had a group of girlfriends that are still my friends to this day but I never was really interested in being a follower or a leader I just like to do my own thing and and be in charge of my own and I didn't really want to take responsibility for anyone else but I didn't want to be the one telling everybody else what to do and I think that's followed me around and so when when people start saying you can't do something I think I just thought well why not yeah why not so if I do this this and this and I work really hard then then surely doors will open and and actually they did. I had a meeting when I was um, 16. I kept I kept ringing from an office at school to the BBC <laughs> in Birmingham asking for work experience. And every time I rang up, they said to me, you have to be 18. We can't take anyone before they're 18. And I wrote and I rang and I bothered them so much that when I was about 16 and a half, they said, okay, just come in for a week. So I went in and did a week's work experience and I took all my copies of my hospital radio demos and things and I managed to get a meeting with with the man that was in charge there at the time he was his name was David Roby and he ended up being the managing director of BBC London wow but at the time when he was at BBC WM he listened to my demo and I I, still to this day I can't believe that I got a meeting with the person that ran the station when I'm 16 and a half but I did and he listened and he just said you know what you've got something there is some potential here but you'll never work outside of the West Midlands unless you lose your accent. <laughs> uh, so, I used to say, "Here's Natalie Umbrulia and Torn on Beacon FM." Um, so that's how I used to talk. So I I went to university, and it was it, it goes to show how things come round because. I suppose those accents weren't fashionable when I started out, whereas now accents are really fashionable. Yeah. And they came they came to be really fashionable when I was applying for jobs and I was kicking myself because I'd actually <laughs> got rid of it to a degree. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, I, I think it's funny that these things in life skew you and, and make you adapt your broadcasting. And I think I learned a lot from radio. Radio yeah. really just equips you, I think, for, for broadcasting really well. The hospital radio side, Lindsay, is, is very interesting. I spoke to a range of uh, guests on my show that, that seemed to be heading into that direction at the beginning. But did you listen to a lot of commercial radio growing up to get yeah. advice on how to be a good presenter and, and things like that? Or did you want to almost kind of make it your own? so to speak well I did the whole thing of taping the chart show every single Sunday and listening to all the links back because I was really interested in the presenter more so than the music half the time um, and I used to listen to there was a woman called Davinia or Davina on Beacon FM back at home when when I was really young and I wasn't used to hearing women on the radio mm-hmm. and I thought she was so cool I thought she was really brilliant she did the, like the evening show um, and that piqued my interest. Um, so yeah, I, I suppose I was a bit of a student of it. I used to, I used to really like listening to different presenters. And then, having come from a family that didn't really have that many connections in the media world, my dad happened to play snooker with one man who could help me in my life, and that was a local DJ on um, Radio Wolves, <laughs> which were based at Molyneux, and I was a Wolves fan as well. And I nagged my dad, can you ask him if I can go along? Can you ask him? And every time he'd go and play snooker and he'd come back and he'd forgotten, you know. Mm-hmm. And in the end, I went, oh, you're never going to ask him. And so he did. And um, this man called Steve Welsh came, picked me up, bless him, and took me to go and shadow him. And he also said, you can come back and do a bit of a work experience if you like and, and get you know give me the halftime results and edit a bit of the match commentary for us. So I got to do that and I loved it. And that was the opening of a of the door really, yeah. but in a in a really low scale way. I mean it's it's very difficult, I think, when people ask you how to get into the industry. I think every single path is different. I don't think there's any set route. Yeah. And mine was definitely not not a route that I think you could copy. It's a bit of a all over the place one. Nevertheless, absolutely fascinating to hear about that journey, Lindsay. Absolutely fantastic. I always ask about inspirations and idols, um, not just in the media, but also in football as well. Who were yours growing up? Uh, in terms of broadcasting wise, um, when Gabby Logan first came on the scene, I was very interested in what she was doing. I get to work with alongside her now. I think she's fantastic at what she does. Um, so I, I was liking seeing more and more women coming into the field, like Claire Balding as well, who's very, very oh, good. She's wonderful too. Um, I think Des Lynham uh, and people like that. I used to watch Grandstand fanatically. Um, I used to think he was fantastic. A lot of the radio broadcasters as well, like Mark Pugach, who still works now. But I remember in his early days just thinking he was he was just natural. Um, and in terms of sports-wise, you know, I love Paula Radcliffe. You know, if you talk about someone who's got grit and determination. Absolutely. I love those sorts of people. The people that worked hard and got their rewards, those are the sorts of people I admired. Yeah, I mean, Paula Radcliffe is an absolutely fantastic sportswoman and, and obviously an Olympic medal- gold medalist. Absolutely superb what she's done. And, you know, the range of people she you mentioned. get Olympic gold, I'm afraid, Grant. Oh, I thought she did. I no, she did. no. Ah. That's the one that evaded her, but she, she definitely, she broke the world record in the marathon. I was going to say, I, I thought she'd won a gold. Ah, I, I stand corrected. I honestly thought she did. Oh, sorry, Paula. I bet you feel quite bad if you're listening <laughs> no, to she this. No, she won't be saying anything apart from, yeah, you can give me one if you like. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, obviously, you got that shadowing job working at the BBC and, and, and how that sort of kick-started your journey. In terms of skills that you picked up, 
what advice would you have taken from others and, and got from the people that you were working with at the time? Um, some of the, some of it, I don't think I I took as seriously as I should have done. Um, so I think if I if anyone's listening to this, wondering how to sort of go about things, definitely take heed of advice. I remember very early on being told to always keep a demo up to date, and I've not always done that. Mm-hmm. I've only recently done some new demos after eight years, which is really really poor form. So don't follow my example. Definitely follow the advice. Um, I think. A lot of the early advice that I had was n- not to try and be someone else. You know, if you if you admire someone for their broadcasting, that's fine, but they already exist. You need to be your own person. And I think that's probably one of the key things that I've always tried to do is hold on to who I am. Yeah. Um, I was a little bit, I suppose, although I was very girly to some degree, I think I probably was be classed as a bit of a tomboy when I was younger. And I was the sort of person that would rather go and buy sports clothes than go in the in the high-end fashion shops at one point and I, I think I tried to stay true to that and and who I am quite girl next door mm-hmm. rather than this aspirational glamorous figure that I know I'm definitely not yeah. so I I've always tried to hold true to that um I think if I was giving advice out to other people, if you go to university and you find out that they've got a great media department like I did, do student radio. Student radio makes so many people and it was huge in changing my life, I think. Um, but we didn't only have student radio, we had student television as well. So I think I, if it wasn't for student TV, I probably wouldn't be working in TV. Yeah. So those are really important times and years in your life where you're studying that you can actually mm-hmm. invest in something where you're not going to get paid yeah you have to put the hours in and you have to work hard but the amount you learn i don't think you ever get that time again that yes. apart from when you're doing studies mm-hmm. later on in life if you try and play catch up it it costs you a lot mm-hmm. it costs you a lot to do it no, so I, I think make the most of it whilst you're there yeah absolutely i was having a look at your tv and radio credits on your website Lindsay. some really varied range of uh, music stations you've been involved with obviously with uh, q radio and kiss talk sport um a range of other things you mentioned beacon earlier on do you always have to change your style depending on which radio station you're working for or do you just try and naturally try and kind of fit in as best you can um, I didn't ever try and change my style. I loved music, so music was something that I also used to be very passionate about. If you did me a music quiz right now, I would perform terribly. But back in <laughs> 2000, 2005, I was a bit of an indie kid, and I would have known all of the bands at the time and all the new people coming out. And when I worked at Q Radio, I was really into it. So I think it's really hard when you're very, very passionate to sort of be specialist in areas to have too many Mm -hmm. because I think if you're truly specialist then you really live and breathe that thing Mm -hmm. and around about 25 years old I I decided I could no longer if I wanted to be at the level I wanted to be keep up with both music and sport yes so I chose sport um and I'd like to think that I'm across sport pretty well especially football um but yeah music wise I've worked at random stations I mean a lot of it some of them didn't suit me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think Heart suited me particularly. Mm-hmm. Um, I was probably a bit young at the time for Heart. It was a, a little bit housewivey, I suppose. And, <laughs> and um, I look back on that, and that's the only radio job I ever gave up. Um, 
I think Classic Gold, when I did Classic Gold, I love the show because it fused sport and, and classic hits. And I love the 60s and 70s music anyway. Yeah. But again, I was probably the youngest person on that station by about two decades plus. <laughs> so I don't think I was a great fit on there. And I certainly wasn't a fit on Kiss. That isn't my music, but I got given an opportunity to present some overnight yeah. shows. And I, I knew it was a huge brand in London. But it, I'd say that Q and your Beacon FMs and your Trent FMs, mm. those sorts of stations were probably better suited to me. And the great thing, just looking at that, is you have a range of different uh, job roles that you had. You, you did, the, obviously, the work of presenter. You did a little bit of uh, reporting. You did a bit of producing. In terms of skill sets that you've picked up doing these things, that will have stood you in really good stead moving into what you're currently doing in the in the footballing sense. Yeah, I think sometimes any experience is good experience. I've done running work. I've been assistant producer. I used to assistant produce at Six Music, working on Steve Lamac's show, Gideon Co., Russell Brand when he was there. And you learn so much from not only from observing different broadcasters, but from the observing the process of how it's made. I think knowing how to produce helps you be a better presenter. Um, and so I was keen on those skills. Did I intentionally go to try and do them? No, I think everybody needs to start out somewhere and probably just needed to get a bit of money in order to be able to pay my way and rent in London. But I think you do things along the way and the skills that you get from them are all going to help shape the broadcaster you become. I guess what I'm trying to say is that all these skill sets has made you almost a bit of an all-rounder, which is a very good thing. Being very versatile in your field is a, a very positive trait to have. Uh, yeah, and I've had moments in my career where I honestly couldn't have survived if I only did one thing. Mm -hmm. If I only did radio presenting, I wouldn't have made a living. Um, if I only did TV, I wouldn't have made the living at one point. But to, to actually broadcast and present full-time is really difficult to get to that point. So I needed to lean on other skills, whether it be doing admin, assistant producing, running. Um, I do voiceover work, which has always helped me. I still do bits now to top up my money doing that. Um, I think it's really good to have a good varied skill set. Yeah. You mentioned as well Steve Lamack, and Steve Lamack is one of my favourite radio presenters on Six Music. I think he's absolutely superb. But the great he's thing still going. My gosh, he's just incredible. And the great yeah. thing about it is you've worked with so many pres great presenters that you mentioned there and obviously have done your own presenting as well. You will have taken so much advice, I'm sure, from a range of different people in a range of different fields. Yeah, and and I think you get something from different people. You have to effectively be a sponge and you soak up all the bits that you like yep. of different people and that helps shape a little bit as to where you put your own stamp on it. Um, I really like natural style presenting. I, I always have. Um, I suppose when I first entered radio, there was a lot of that, you know, that was, this is, and very old school sort of style. And mm -hmm. I was very much wanting to just chat between between tracks. And, and when, that's so natural for us to hear now, it's so normal, but actually when I entered, there wasn't so many presenters like that. Um, it's funny, I think things as well, They you have a fashion and a trend, I think in terms of presenting right now, everybody likes a specialist, everyone likes someone who knows something to an nth degree or in great detail, whether you're a historian or whether you like nature or whether you like sport or whether you like news and current affairs or politics or business, 
I think that is the thing at the moment. Once upon a time, it used to be you'd be a presenter and you could present anything and mm. you'd research and you'd do any show. But things come in circles, I think. I first saw you on BBC Sport and on Final Score and a range of different things. In terms of the transition from radio to TV, how different is that and how easy or hard is it? Oh, so what's the biggest thing? For anyone coming into television from audio, I think the most difficult thing is body language. I don't even think I've got that nailed still now. Um, when when you're doing audio, of course, you don't have the facial expressions or what you're doing with your hands or the way that you're standing, where you're putting the weight on what leg. You know, all those things actually come into play. Um, it's a way that you express yourself, isn't it? And sometimes you work out that you have a really weird thing. You know, like sometimes you think, well, I didn't realise I... I put my weight on that side. I remember someone saying to me, I looked a bit lopsided once, and I think it's because I wore a really heavy handbag half the time. <laughs> so I've got one right shoulder that was always slightly lower than the left one. It's little observations that you make. Yeah. And in TV, of course, it's so visual. I, I genuinely believe, and someone said this to me, and, and you know what, I don't know where I fit in that, but someone said to me, the TV, a camera will either love you or it won't. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm very natural still, but I still think the camera loves other people more, right? So yeah. it's just one of those things that you have to accept. There are some people that you'll meet them in real life, and you'll think, "Oh, I nearly walked past those. I didn't even notice who they were." But on television, that just the camera loves them. Mm -hmm. It loves them, and and there are people like that. And I don't know what it is. I don't know. I think it's a bit of a secret ingredient and I don't think everybody can do it. Yeah. Um, and I certainly wouldn't have done it if it wasn't for student TV. I, I actually had a colleague of mine that entered me into a competition without me knowing. <laughs> and uh, it was for presenting a show on, on student telly. And I got a lovely letter back from the judge telling me that I should absolutely pursue this as a job and I had a natural flair on mm. camera and all the things that I didn't think I had. Yeah. So for someone else to say it made me then think, oh, okay, you know, this guy works at the BBC. He's got a really good job at the BBC. He's been a judge, you know, he must know what he's talking about. So I'll listen to him. But up until that point, I think I thought that I would only ever do radio. Mm -hmm. But radio was a, an industry that was getting fewer and fewer jobs. Stations were becoming nationalised. You'll have seen the landscape yes. of that over the, the last decade or so. And so it was it was people in radio, actually, that encouraged me to get out of it. They, they were saying, go and do TV. You know, you're young. You don't look like the back end of a bus. Go and do it. Um, and I think I probably needed that push. Yeah. The, the, the interesting uh, phrase you used there, Lindsay, is body language. And I, I work in science and I, I've known a range of people who are teachers and education and things like that. And when they're presenting lectures or classes to people, and you know, I'm doing this just now and people are not seeing this because we're on camera, but I like to use my hands an awful lot. I'm a very expressive guy when I'm talking. And I think it's important that you try to rein that in, but at the same time you want to show your passion, your dedication for what you do. And the best thing by doing that is trying to find that balance between being kind of out there and, and, and trying to be different but at the same time not being too intrusive to others as well yeah I think it's about watching things back as well and, it, and it, it sounds and feels very narcissistic doesn't it to sort of do things on camera and watch yourself it's a horrible thing to have to do but I think you do learn a lot from it I did a, a shoot this week actually where 
we were doing a shoot outside a cinema and the only way that we could get the shot that we wanted was for the camera to be really low pointing up at me and because of experience and because of watching things back now I realized that if I move my hands too much my hands will look massive because <laughs> my head's further away the angle isn't going to be a natural angle so it's those little things that you realize oh don't move as much um but I think you just have to work those out as you go along. Yeah. In terms of the roles you do on TV, are you more nervous for a particular role or do you feel more naturally in another role? What, what's the balance like? Um, I'm going to be truthful and say that I, I don't have any nerves when I do radio or audio at all. But remember, I did this from 13. So like, I think you become a Very little fair. bit yeah. uh, accustomed to it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have as many nerves in TV if it wasn't for things that have been said to me along the way. Um, but I find it hard. I find it hard being judged on what you look like. And I think women in television in particular, you know, what we wear, what our hair looks like. There are so many other factors mm -hmm. that I think mm -hmm. get judged a lot. Yeah, no, I agree. And it has been, it has been tough along the way. You know, Absolutely. I've been... In no uncertain terms, I've had people say I needed to lose a stone. I don't think I'm that big. Um, I've had you look prettier in real life than on telly. You know, all these different things that people think they're doing you a favour by telling you. But actually, sometimes it can really crush yeah, your yeah. self-esteem. I find that really frustrating when people say things like that to female presenters. I'm not trying to, you know kind of something that well obviously trying to be very positive about it because I actually think there's a lot of really good female broadcasters journalists pundits etc that actually have a great amount of knowledge to give to people who are involved within football and I think that should be appreciated more and more yeah and there is definitely an element of a visual medium you've got to be presentable I, I think it, you have to you have to put really nice clothes on and try and turn out the best you that you are but you cannot turn yourself into Claudia Schiffer right that's yeah. not going to happen <laughs> uh, so I can go into the hairdresser um, and I can say I'll have the Rachel cut please but he isn't going to turn me into Jennifer Aniston you know so I think that it, it's a really delicate one because I think there is a lot of knowledge there that's perhaps not being consumed because mm -hmm. people are perhaps a little bit fearful of the judgments mm -hmm. um, I'm just gonna, I, I also I'm just gonna pick, it's a visual medium I'm just going to pick an example I think Alex Scott is a terrific pundit on Sky Sports yeah, and I think yeah. a lot of people criticise her because she's a woman and because she's different to other people and I think she's absolutely superb at what she does I think Karen Carney is a terrific pundit as well a terrific co-commentator and again we've already seen this season with the whole incident after that I think it was the Leeds game wasn't it very famously yeah. you know she getting yeah. a lot of unwarranted criticism on Twitter and I, I, I thought that was bang out of order quite frankly yeah I think they're both examples that are absolutely at the top of their game they're fantastic at what they do I really love hearing their insight you know they both played football for a very long time absolutely. they have absolutely earned the right to talk about it and they know they know all of the tactics and they absolutely know what it's like to be coached um what the sorts of things that we're trying to get out of pundits they're absolutely there to give um and they've cemented their place in Definitely. the industry now and i think i think all those people moaning they can carry on but they're here to stay and that's the fantastic thing i think when you're someone who's whose job is to actually bring out the best in those sorts of people it's not about you so for, for me the things that i love doing 
is showcasing those sorts of people that are very good at what they do. I love interviewing people, mm-hmm. but none of it is ever about me. I've just got to be the bridge to be able to get the best out of others. Absolutely. Um, and it's a different skill, isn't it? It's a different skill to being a pundit, and I wouldn't profess to try and do that because I've not played at the level that Alex or Kaz have ever done. I can have an opinion, and I, I'm really all for encouraging women and men to have opinions about things that's we're, we're all entitled to. Um, but, yeah, there are these roles on screen where... I wouldn't dream of trying to, <laughs> to compete there. Yeah. Um, but if you can bring out the best in those people, it's it's partly down to the people they're working with as well yeah. to, to get those best points out of them. Yeah, absolutely. And what I was really intrigued by looking at your TV credits, obviously the, the football reporting side is really interesting. What's your very, um, which, well, say, what's your favourite ground to go and report a game at? And Ooh. Well, um, I am a Wolves fan, so I love Molyneux. Um, I have to say that one first and foremost. I worked at LFC TV for quite some time, and when people tell you that Anfield on a European night is special, they're not lying. It really is. It's, it's honestly spine-tingling stuff. Um, I've, I've really enjoyed quite a lot of stadiums. Fulham is one that I really love going to. It's that really old wooden stadium yeah. on the Thames, you know. Um and even the ones that I don't enjoy being at in the middle of deepest, darkest winter because it's freezing <laughs> like Stoke, <laughs> um, because they've got this one open end, and oh my word, it, it is like being in Antarctica. Yeah. But I still love it. I yeah. still love the experience of being there. Um, I I love the smaller grounds. Yeah. I love non-league stadiums. I love getting back to the grassroots of football. Um, in terms of like the really impressive modern ones, obviously the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium um, is fantastic, um, and I wonder what the new Goodison Park, new Everton yes. Stadium, will look like. Um, but yeah, I mean it's very it's very blasé of me to say, oh, I just like going to football, but I do. I think they yeah. all have their own quirks. Yeah, no, absolutely. And in terms of reporting at the games, I, I have to ask you this: What's your biggest faux pas you've made? <laughs> Oh, um, okay. Well, I once left my phone on and I was doing a post captain and it was for the world feed and I thought it was my floor manager that had left his phone on and as I started interviewing Phil and he, by the way Everton had lost so it's a losing interview oh dear. Um, he he looked up and I was tutting as if to think oh someone's left their phone on and then I realised it was mine I put headphones in it and I didn't realise that the volume still rings really loud if you have headphones plugged in. Yeah. So I learned a lesson that day, and um, Phil was very nice. He started again. <laughs> but, yeah, that was my biggest faux pas. <laughs> it happens to everybody, so I thought I'd ask that question. But in terms of games that you've been to report at, there must be some classic games that you can remember. Oh, I'm so pleased I was there. I saw a great game. I saw a load of goals. I saw a lot of talking points. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've, I've had loads over the years. Um, I mean, in terms of a Wolves fan being at Molyneux and seeing like the late winner against Chelsea, uh, late, we had seven goals when we played Leicester. You know, th- th- that season when we went back to the top flight, I've kept every single programme of all the matches that I went to, but there were some fantastic ones. I was there as well when Traore scored against Manchester City. Um, I went to that game thinking we were going to be hammered and um, we ended up coming away winning, which was which was just unreal. And he 
he played the best game I've seen him in. Um, outside of Wolves, um, I've seen some brilliant ones. I saw England-Scotland at Wembley, which was a, a great clash. Um, I've seen I've seen ones where in the Championship I saw Watford and they scored seven goals and they were all down one end of the pitch and it was when they were redeveloping the stand yeah. and I was down the other end and had to report on all seven goals for final score from yeah. the other corner and the other side of the pitch yeah. um, which was ridiculous yeah uh, um, I, I was listening back to some of the work that I did because I've just been putting a few clips together and I did QPR beating Cardiff 6-1 on New Year's Day yes, two years ago I remember that game um, and QPR yeah, QPR had been in awful form as well, That's right. and suddenly out of nowhere they produced this awesome, awesome performance. Yeah, um, and that's it. I suppose it's the unpredictability. Leicester, I covered a lot of Leicester in the season that they won. Yeah, uh, the title, and that was spine tingling as well. You know, I went there when they they delivered the ball via helicopter onto the centre of the pitch, and Kasabian played beforehand. Yes. And, you know, you just remember all these little moments. I did Frank Lampard's last game at Manchester City and interviewed him before he went to the States. Um, just all these little moments that are quite special. You've interviewed some big names in the Premier League, Lindsay. Who's your personal favourite? I love goalkeepers, Grant, because the thing with goalkeepers... They say they're one of a kind, but they're often a real personality. So I used to love, for instance, Petr Cech. He was a brilliant interview. Jorelio Gomez, I oh. loved so much. Um, I've done so many goalkeeper interviews. Um, Fabianski, I, I tend to interview quite a lot lately. He's a really interesting one. David Martin, I did, um, I did a goalkeeping sort of masterclass feature with him. I, I just find, generally speaking, that a goalkeeper never disappoints me. If I, if I ever know that I'm doing a down with a goalie I know that I'm going to get a good reaction but one of my favourite interviews probably that I did was with Per Mertesacker um, I did a sit down with him and I don't know he just came to life there were a few things that had happened before the interview started whereby I have a friend who's Austrian but is also a huge Germany fan and and we were just talking about a few things and he just opened up before that interview started. And so when we began, it was it was really lovely and it flowed really well. Um, yeah, I love it. I love asking difficult questions, but yeah. in, a, in a really nice way. Yeah. <laughs> and, there's been and I'm some, always smiling when I say it. And there's been some really big characters in the managing uh, game as well. I mean, you must have interviewed a few of them too. Oh yeah, I, I, re I think Chris Wilder gave me a death stare when I asked him. <laughs> and they sort of last year they they'd done so well, hadn't they? But they just couldn't quite push into those European places. Yeah. And I, th I felt like I worded it fine, but you know, he he looked at me like I was off another planet. Um, Steve Bruce has been under pressure recently. I had to do the I had to do the pre match interview with him after there was a lot of media attention because of what happened with Matt Ritchie that yes. week. Um, so I did one of the first interviews with him post that. Um, there are tough questions to ask. I had to ask, um, it was at the very beginning of Liverpool tailing off this season. Um, you might remember over Christmas they played Newcastle. That's and right. I think they drew that game and I had to speak to Jürgen afterwards. And it, it wasn't in the, in the absolute pit of of despair that I think he's been in since yeah. so I know that he has been quite sharp with other journalists but mm -hmm. I did have to ask some tough questions and 
he was great you know he, he handled them fine then um Jose's an always interesting one. Yeah. Um, there's some, there's some that I absolutely love. In terms of managers, I loved Poch. Yes, um, I think everybody I loved Pochettino. He, he was brilliant. I know, I know. I, I, yeah, I really, really did. I really him, and um, I also love Slaven Bilic. Actually, really? he was really nice to talk to. I was a bit gutted when he went to West Brom, but yeah. yeah. Well, let, let's yeah. talk. Let's talk about your team, Wolverhampton Wanderers, because you know they're a really great club. I love watching them play. They play some really great brand of football, and Nuno Espirito Santo has, continues to do an unbelievable job. What's your first memories of following Wolves? Ah, oh, so I went. Um, I went to a friendly against Manchester United. Uh, it was a pre-season friendly. I think it was round about 1993. My uncle took me along. I was eight years old, and I had a stomach bug. <laughs> that oh. day. So I, I didn't feel very well at all. But I didn't want to not go and that, for him to take my other cousin and not me. So we all went, and I wasn't very well. But I loved it, and I remember them announcing as well that. Um, you're going to get a glimpse of this young player for Manchester United. He's only played a couple of times and his name's Ryan Giggs. And <laughs> so I saw him and thought that he was incredible, which I, sh I was meant to be watching Wolves closer, but um, I thought he was really good on the day as an eight-year-old. Um, and then I went and worked at Radio Wolves, as I alluded to earlier. Yeah. Um, so I saw some fantastic games whereby I was helping out the commentators for, for, the, for Radio Wolves so I'd miss little bits, but not very much because I'd just be I'd be editing bits of match commentary at the end of the first half and then taking it out for the start of the second. So I might miss about five, ten minutes of a match, but most of the time I, I'd get to watch 80 minutes. And I saw Bully score his 300th league goal against Bradford and he whipped up his shirt and he had like a white vest underneath that he'd written on in Biro 300. You know, you look now yeah. at the sort of revenue he'd have behind him. He'd have like a proper uh, flag or something in the crowd. But no, that was the budgets back then. Um, but what a player he was for us. Him and Andy Murch were two of my favourites. Um, so I have early memories of that. Uh, I was there for uh, more recently, the European adventure in the Europa League, which... Mm -hmm. You know, we hadn't been in for thirty odd years. Yeah. And being back at Molyneux on a on a night with European football being there, albeit the Europa League, it yeah. was it was fantastic. Um, and I saw Jota score a hat trick, which was really memorable evening. And that yeah. was uh, towards the the South Bank, so that was mm -hmm. the stand that my friend used to have season tickets in. So I always look for the South Bank for them to score the goals towards the South Bank. Um, yeah, I, I've got so many to be honest, but it's it's an absolute pleasure going and watching them at, at the minute. I, I think as a Wolves fan, the last three years have been top of the world for us. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned the European journey, and and one of the great things I love about that is because I I follow a lot of Northern Irish football, and Wolves' first game was against Crusaders from the Northern Irish League, and I always yeah. find that quite exciting and interesting to look back on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was that. There was, and of course, um, Matt Doherty had come from Bohemian, so yes. there's another island link there. We had a lot of I Irish players actually. Robbie Keane, of course, um, Kevin yeah, Doyle. Had, yeah, we've had, in fact, there's so many, we'd be here all day because we've had so many that have come through. Um, yeah, Kevin Doyle, um, we've had, I'm trying to think, oh, um, Keith as well. Uh, oh, his name's just gone out of my head and I see him all the time. <laughs> and he, d he does, he does uh, stuff. Not Keith Andrews? 
Yes. Yeah. Andrews. Why did his name not come up? <laughs> Keith Andrews. Keith Andrews. We've had Keith Andrews who came through our academy as well. There were there were loads and loads. And um, yeah, it was it was nice when it was Crusaders. I enjoyed that match. Um, really enjoyed as well the Olympiacos game. Mm-hmm. Um, because I thought I thought that was probably a, you know the biggest test that we've had for some time yeah. playing them, um, but yeah, uh, it's been it's been a really nice journey. I mean, Wolves obviously had their, their trials and tribulations. They had dropped down the leagues, coming back up. You know, Nuno Espirito Santo has been a real breath of fresh air. What's he given to Wolves to make them a really really strong, solid Premier League outfit? I think Nuno is the key to all of this, actually. What he's done is he's given them responsibilities and a project that he knows exactly what everybody's job should be and how he wants to get there. And he's got a certain style of play as well. He has shown that he's he's tried to be a bit more versatile this season. And I I don't know, it has has come a bit of a cropper. I think we will change system at some point. Mm. But of course, he's, he's worked so well with three at the back and we had so much success that it's difficult to move away from. Um, and he's constantly looking to evolve. What I love about Nuno, he's he's looking ahead. Um, Recruitment-wise, he's always looking looking at the academy as well and the players that are coming through there. We've got Otisawi at the moment um, that's got a lot of potential. Morgan Gibbs-White has come through yes. the academy. Um, he, he's often giving them a chance. Mm-hmm. So it isn't it isn't a no. You know, Leander Dendonka, when he came through, had been... Had been on the sidelines for some time and then you know it's been one of the more regular players Um, there is a way of getting into this team and cementing your spot so I like that he encourages that obviously there's the Portuguese link Um, he does have his his faithfuls that he leans on Uh, but ultimately he's very disciplined and I I think that as long as the players buy into what he wants which Mm. they do they're all there is that togetherness we've seen the fact that we've got pretty small squad in comparison to a lot of other Premier League teams and he likes to operate with a smaller squad Um, and and that's worked well I mean I don't know how long it will fall I don't know how much is going to have to change but these few years have been fantastic one of the guys I really like this season is Pedro Neto I think he's really come out of not nowhere, but he's kind of been a bit of an unknown to many people and comes through and, and, and really flourished. I've really enjoyed him. And you mentioned Triori with that blistering pace. He's been absolutely superb. But at the back, you know, I've been a huge fan of Rui Patricio over the years. Obviously, a European Championship winner in 2016 with Portugal. A wonderful person to have in the team, a real leader. Mm, he is. And, and Rui, I, I think, sometimes falls a little bit under the radar in, in terms mm. of the names that are mentioned at Wolves. Um, and he, he has been fantastic. If you've got a really good goalkeeper, often that can be the difference. I always say 10 to 12 points a season. If you've got a really, really good goalkeeper, that's what they can also equate it to. Um, has he had as good a season as last season? I don't think so. Mm, I don't I think agree. he has. I would agree. But... You know, as long as we can kick on, mm-hmm. and I don't think it's time by any stretch for him to move on. I think he's been been great, and we'll stick with him. Um, but I am looking for a little bit more from some of our yeah. players. I'm looking for a bit more from Neves again. Yeah, and, um, he's always good for a long range goal, isn't he, Neves? He always used to pump it a yeah. 25, 30 yarder into the top corner. He always scores spectacular goals. Yeah, he. Well, you say always. He hasn't scored them as much as, as we'd That's like. That's fair. Um, and he, he actually scored one in the box recently, didn't he? It was a 
couple of months ago. Oh yes, we... that's right. <laughs> very, very mm. rare uh, accolade that. <laughs> yeah, very rare accolade. Um, I think he's got another level in him as a player. I really do. Yeah. And I keep every year someone says to me, who's going to be the one that comes out? I mean, he never lets us down. But I honestly think there will be a season where he'll be the he'll be the Pedro Neto, he'll be the standout yeah. player of the year. Yeah, it's certainly going to be interesting to see how Wolves' remainder of the season goes. I mean, when you're looking at the fixtures before a season kicks off, Lindsay, is there a game or key games that you think, I, I have to be there, I have to be at this match? I always love Wolves-Liverpool ones, and that's actually coming up very soon, and I will be at Molyneux for that one. Um, I think I like I like seeing us against the best. I like seeing us against Man City, Spurs, Chelsea, Arsenal. I love those games. And you don't ever go in there thinking that we're going to win. I just know that we are capable of springing a surprise. I've grown to really love the matches against Leicester because I actually think that's where we need to pitch ourselves. We've got to try and get to their level. Um, and, of course, West Brom, you know, the Black Country derby. Of course. Although, I wasn't at the Black Country Derby, it, the first one that's taken place. Yeah. And I'm glad I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> of course. I remember that game. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. Interesting to hear that and, and always great to, to talk about Wolves because I think they're a really great side to watch. Now, one of the great things about your own journey, Lindsay, is some of the podcasting stuff that yourself and others have been involved with. And the Offside Rule has been a remarkable podcast to listen to. How did that come about? How was that born? It was born when we were all working at Sky Sports together. So Hayley McQueen and Kate Borsay are the other two voices on yep. that show. And a lot of the people listening to this will know Hayley, and Hayley's still on Sky Sports. Yep. Um, but Kate and I moved on quite a few years ago. But the, the podcast actually was born about eight or nine years ago. It was it was in the wake of the Andy Gray and Richard Keyes scenario, actually. Mm. Um, and back then, which doesn't feel like that long ago but feels like dinosaur years yes. ago in some ways mm -hmm. um there was very much a case of women were doing more and more in the sports media field but i think i think i'm safe to say that if you if you generally looked across there weren't many opinions being mm -hmm. given to I women agree. so women were doing a lot of maybe auto cue reading or co-hosting or being alongside someone who probably was a bit more dominant um male in in that position and and then that happened with andy gray and richard keys with with the sean massey comments and there were, there were some other things that were going on and i think it just was a bit of a kick in the teeth you know i agree when you when you love and you work and you're passionate and day in day out are working in football how can you expect us not to know what we're talking about you know yeah. so I think we just wanted to showcase that we did mm -hmm. and we used to have chats in the makeup chairs at Sky before doing our respective shifts and we used to talk about football and I just said look why don't we do this on a podcast and because I'd, I'd come from that radio background I'd already got friends from the radio industry that had started doing podcasts very early on mm -hmm. We are talking about eight, nine years ago now. Yes. And um, and I just wanted an avenue to do some audio and, and felt like it was the right thing. We had some help along the way. There was a producer who I'd worked with at the BBC who who identified what were the things that were really working because we, we did a few different shows with different elements and she was saying, look, it's this bit with you three that works the best. Mm -hmm. So um, I have to say a big thank you to Heather for that. 
and I also worked very closely with Luke Moore who had yes. launched the Football Ramble yeah. and he was having quite a lot of success and he was very kindly gave us his time um, I met him a few times actually in the Sky Canteen to talk about launching this podcast and it was going to be all female and we wanted to do something a bit similar to what they were doing but all women and um, and he was really generous actually really very generous with his time um, and so that's how it came about and it got a little bit of a, a cult following underground I'd say mm -hmm. at the beginning where some people discovered it it wasn't that well known but the people that the people that had found it really loved it yeah um, and then we got a couple of awards and I think that helped open us up to, to a bigger audience. Now we're with The Athletic. Yes. And they've been a huge support, huge advocate of us. Um, and, yeah, it's all about trying to spread the word that we're out there, really. Yeah. I still think we, we, we suffer a little bit from the fact that there is no marketing campaign, there's no publicity, mm. so to speak. We just have to rely on social media and people finding us. And the, the WSL and the women's football as a whole really is growing. I mean, obviously, the, the Premier League, the uh, WSL, is going to be on Sky, I believe, and a range of TV other outlets from next season. It's really exciting time to follow the women's football, not just in England, but across the world. Scotland is obviously improving as well where I'm from here. Yeah, and, and Kate and I have worked in women's football for some time, so we, we decided to also launch a WSL show. Um, that's a, a separate version of the Offside Rule yeah. that we release, and we've done for a couple of years now. Um, we both went to the World Cup in Canada together. We've done specials before, but this is the first time we've done for like week in, week out, if people want to listen to reaction to an analysis for the latest WSL action. They can get that with us now, which has been fantastic, so we're in our second year of doing that. Um, um, and yeah, I, I honestly am so excited about where the women's game is going. Um, every single bit of news lately is some sort of growth or expansion or the way that we can try and get more commercial partners or yeah. there's so many different things that are happening that it feels like that boom area it's only going to grow yeah and it's only going to get bigger um and the world cup um audience figures have shown that there's an appetite there so i Completely. think the fact that it's going to be split between the bbc and sky will work really well yeah no absolutely and i really like the relationship yourself and kate and Haley have as a trio i think you bounce off each other so well and it's really engaging to listen to there's a range of different topics not just in football but outside of football as well which i think is very interesting yeah, I think we try and do that lifestyle element. We're we're not very intimidating. It's not really stats heavy. I think if you're if you're after that sort of football analysis, you've got plenty of options already. So you will learn something. I think you do. Um, but I think people who stumble across us, uh, hopefully, they invest in in a little bit in who we are mm -hmm. because that dynamic between the three of us and having worked in football all together before. I think it really comes across with some of the experiences we've had. Um, we have a bit of fun with it, actually. It, it's one of those where it's it's a great excuse for us to get together and have a natter. Yeah, no, absolutely. One of the great ones I listened to, it was a while ago now, but I think it was love letters to your football teams. And I thought that was <laughs> yeah. really, really funny and really, really heartfelt and really good to listen to. That was really good. Your one about Wills was, was superb. <laughs> Yes, and Haley's one about Manchester United. United. It was, yeah. was fantastic, wasn't it? Um, yeah, we, we like to do those sorts of themes. I mean, we've had some homeschooling topics recently um, during lockdown. We yeah. did things around geography and history and politics in football and all sorts. Um, and, I, you know, I'm always 
uh, coming up with random ideas. Um, the fact that we had the census recently meant that we did mm. something around the census last week and we had to work out from vital statistics who different footballers were. And then this week, before we've even recorded, actually, um, I've already said about the clocks going forward. So we, we need to think who, who actually in football would be wishing time away right now. Um, <laughs> so we're doing that this week. Yeah, there's, there's loads of fun that we have with it, but we hope that people still learn things yes. along the way. I certainly do. I think it's really, really engaging and, and really good fun. And the great thing about the offside rule of the WSL is that it's connected within a range of other great podcasts like The Totally Show, which you're also very much involved with. I mean, what yeah. is it like being on that series of podcasts? Because The Totally Show is my go-to podcast every <laughs> week. I think it's absolutely superb. Jimbo is one of my heroes and you get an opportunity oh, to work him. with him. Yeah, I, I love Jimbo. I, I've never known someone be able to come up with a better pun than yeah. Jimbo. He's brilliant. His intros are always spot on. That There's an example, actually, of someone you never try and copy because you cannot be him. No. You cannot be exactly what he is. Um, he is definitely one of a kind. Um, he's a very generous broadcaster as well. I, I think there's something to be said about someone that gives people the space Mm-hmm. to be able to do what they have to do. Um, I think he links every single one of those shows well together. Um, I've really enjoyed being part of that. I'm really pleased that they they started getting more women on. Definitely. I do think that there's a lot of these shows that are very male-heavy. I agree. Um, and it does end up being a bit of a boys' club, and it sometimes can turn to, turn into a bit of a stat off. Um, like, who knows more? I know more than you. <laughs> I'm not saying that happens in a totally show, but um, I definitely think with some of them out there that can happen. And so I think having a woman on there sometimes it adds a different dynamic. And you know, I'm never going to know as much as Michael Cox, but I am at matches every week, yeah. and so I've got a purpose and a reason to be there on the show so I think um, whilst they keep asking me I'll keep doing it No, no, it's absolutely fantastic to hear your voice on that I think it's really engaging one of the things I find interesting and going back to the TV side of things Lindsay is the fact that you're involved with Amazon Prime and one of the things that really interests me about media moving forward is obviously you have BBC you have Sky you have ITV etc is Amazon Prime almost like the beginning of a new era for broadcasting? I hope so, because I think it's a really exciting new era if that's the case. I think this live streaming has worked brilliantly. Mm. Obviously, there's little glitches that have happened along the way in the early test periods. I'm sure that they found they must have so many people that they have work on this to try and get it work so seamlessly as they do. And I don't know how long it took before they came to market, to be honest, because to get that many matches, when they do the rounds in December, that sometimes they're doing, you know, six simultaneously. It blows my mind, actually, Grant. I've got no idea how, how it all works to that technical degree. But... It is the way, isn't it, that we all want to watch football, don't yeah. you think? Yeah, I no, mean, absolutely. I mean, one of the great things I love about Prime coverage is that I'm a big fan of Ali McCoist as a co-commentator, and I love oh, him alongside John Champion or Clive Tilsley. I think he's a per- they're a perfect double act. And Ali's got so much knowledge about not just Scottish football, but football as a whole. I think he's absolutely superb. But what I love about the presenting is that you get people like Alan Shearer on, who's got so much knowledge, obviously all-time Premier League goal scorer, and you get a range of great insight from these guys about what it's like to to miss a penalty what it's like to to go certain amount of games without scoring a goal what it's like to score a last minute winner and i think that's great to hear that 
I think that their talent selection at Prime Video has been top notch. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at the the different lineups that they have, I think Jim Rosenthal is a broadcaster, yes. Simon Thomas, Gabby Logan, um, they're all fantastic hosts, and they've gone with experience. Mm-hmm. and And I was really privileged actually to be asked to do a lot of the reporting work because sometimes um, you know you feel like everything's going younger all the time, and it's nice. You, I know that at this point in my career, I've never known more. This is when you feel like you know the most. Yeah. And I'm still in my 30s, you know, I'm by no means over the hill. Um, but it is nice to see that experience rewarded. And it has been a fantastic watch. I, there, there are not any of them, when I've not been working, I watch it all the time. And there have not been any of them I've not enjoyed. And often, I think, what would happen if they had the really big fixtures? Because mm. often they, they have maybe the third, fourth choice, you know? Yes. Um, so on the rounds that they've picked up these extra ones, I, I think they've done brilliantly with it. And they weren't expecting to get that many. I think COVID has obviously meant that they've picked up some more Premier League and been able to try doing a few more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um Maybe it's the way that it will go. I have no intel. I can't tell you, Grant. No one yeah. said to me they're going to go in bigger. Um, I've got no idea. I think it'll be fascinating to see what happens going forward because I think the blueprint is there for something very exciting long term and hopefully you'll be a very big part of that, Lindsay. We're, we're coming towards the end of the podcast. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Some really great insight in a range of different topic areas. What does the future hold for yourself? Because it yeah. seems like you've got a, a lot of great things that you're displaying things that you're very much involved with but I feel there's a lot more to come from you um, I hope so um, I don't take anything for granted I enjoy it whilst it's there Grant um, sure. I'll do my best I think that's all you ever can do I can't do any more than that I love my job with the Premier League I love doing the Prime Video and I love doing match reports on Final Score I honestly am the luckiest girl in the world because I get to do the thing that I love every single day nearly and I don't take any of it for granted. You know, it's taken me a long time to get there. Um, I think it's been a long, long journey in in broadcasting sense um, from 13 to now. Um, But I I wouldn't have wished it to happen any quicker because I think like you, when you said earlier about the experiences you get along the way, I think they've all helped shape me to become a better broadcaster. And there's, there's certain opportunities that I remember potentially have been in my path in in the past but they might have come too quick Mm -hmm. so there's a few things I look back on and I think oh did I miss something there should I have done that should I have done this but actually I probably wasn't ready at those times yeah so you you get all these experiences and they make you the person you are in terms of the future I would love to still be reporting and still going to matches um my my ideal would be to be a lead reporter for a network. Um, I look up to people like uh, Gabriel Clark and Jeff Shreves, but I don't think there's been the first female one of those yet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I would love to do that. I would love to be the number one reporter somewhere, and we will see if that can happen. But I'm also very content with what I've achieved. A very exciting times, and obviously some really great stuff you've done already, Lindsay. You can find Lindsay on Twitter, uh, at Lindsay Hooper. Some really great content she has there, and you can also check out some of her stuff. She's on BBC Sport, Prime Video, as I said, and the Premier League as well. And as I said, a founder of the award-winning Offside Rule podcast. You can find that at Offside Rule Pod on Twitter award winning football podcast from Lindsay Hayley McQueen Kate Borsat and you show every week on Union Jack Radio and you can check it out at offsiderulepodcast.com
www.campbellsfootballclub.com. Lindsay, it's been great to chat to you. Um, thanks very much for coming on Campbell's Footballs and best of luck long term going forward. Thank you, Graham. Thank you. And thank you for the plugs. <laughs> no, no worries at all. Well, listener, that brings us to the end of yet another episode of Campbell's Footballs. I hope this podcast was just what the doctor ordered. If you want to listen to previous shows or look out for future shows, follow Campbell's Footballs on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you listen to other podcasts. You can also follow the show on Facebook at Campbell's Footballs. Search for me, StatoG91 or Instagram or other social media channels. But until then, until next time, I hope you enjoyed the crack and enjoy Campbell's Footballs. What a dangerous night.